You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Uh, hello and welcome to the Delirious Nomads podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bacon, and we have... One of our very own Blacklight Media artists on the podcast today, Justin Roth of Workers. How are you today, Justin? Good, dude. How are you? I'm uh, slowly surviving. So you, last Friday, sent in a complete new record to the label. Yes. Exciting. How are you feeling? That's pretty cool. You've been working on it for years, basically. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Yeah, we've been working on it for a while. It's uh, It was great to finally uh, get to that finish line. That's for sure. And we started, I mean, we've been writing it obviously throughout the pandemic. And I know I've sent you and Chris and, you know, some of the Ryan has heard demos along the way, but we, we started officially recording it in June and it has just been kind of a lengthy process to get it done, but I'm, I'm thrilled with the outcome. I hope, I hope all you guys who have heard it agree. And so, you know, I think kind of the, the elephant in the room is it's a pretty dramatic shift from a lot of the previous stuff, which tended to be a little harsher than this. Uh, and you're kind of taking advantage of Blaine's voice to its full potential for the first time. Yeah, it was definitely not an accident. You know, I mean, we, with the last album, Eradication, which, you know, everybody liked that album, but vocally, that album was written before Blaine joined the band. Like, that was written for our old vocalist, Tarek, and Blaine just sort of stepped in and did his best Tarek impersonation, I guess you could say. Like he just stepped in and, and kind of did the songs as they were they were previously like half recorded when he came in. So he just kind of took inspiration and did that. And with this album, we wanted to give him a chance to be himself a little more and inject some of his influence and, you know, make some stylistic choices. And, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of kind of a, a more melodic vocal approach, maybe not, you know, constant barking so to speak so yeah i mean mm-hmm. it was kind of cool it was it was cool to put our heads together and and you know myself and blaine we wrote you know most of the album anyway together you know and, and he had input on on guitar parts and i had vocal vocal input and and you know lyrical input and all that sort of stuff so it was it was it was a more collaborative process which i think came out cool because blaine is secretly the best guitarist in the band right yeah i don't even know that it's a secret blaine shreds 
you know, he's a he's a phenomenal guitar player. It's it's almost kind of unfair that he has to stand behind me and Murphy as we we goof <clears> around <throat> with our guitars on stage. Yeah, he's a he's a monster player. So how would you describe this record as having evolved beyond sort of the more melodic vocals? I, mean, I think we took kind of a a different approach to songwriting for sure. Prior to this album, everything was written over the course of, you know, 500 weekly band practices. And we would, we would pound out a riff and we would just play it over and over again until we came up with another riff to smack at the end of it. And, and we would just make these like lengthy kind of riff sandwich sort of songs where, you know, they, they would, I, I don't know if it, it, some of it would just come together because it had to, like it was almost, um, you you felt the need to leave the room having accomplished something that night since you drove across town and you know set your gear up and what have you with with this we had a lot more freedom uh blaine actually does a lot of uh recording and mixing on his own time as well so it was written in more of a studio environment where we had the ability to you know step away from a song for weeks or months and and come back to it when we when we felt that we had something to add to it and we were able to do a lot more editing and and kind of pay closer attention to things like the length of of the songs or the intros or you know whatever whatever it was we were able to really kind of uh police ourselves a little more instead of just writing these these big long songs because we were in a room and kind of entertaining ourselves you know and i noticed that that the songwriting is you know the songs aren't short but it's more that it's it's more concise. Yeah, more concise and more just articulate. I, I think one of the tendencies in thrash metal is to, <laughs> I mean, thrash metal's kind of always been sort of like a guitar-driven genre to a, to an extent, I think largely. But, um, you know, as a guitarist, it, it's, it becomes masturbation to a point where it's like, how many, how many of my cool riff ideas can I stuff into this song before like somebody cuts me off, you know? So it's like, with with this, I think every riff kind of served a purpose. There wasn't a whole lot of just wanking for the sake of wanking. There, mm-hmm. There's a lot less like parts that just sort of feel like they're they're forced in there. And some of these songs, I mean, they Fortress is is a good example. I know I'm talking about these songs like people have heard them, but like you've you've heard it. That song, yes. At, at one point in time, that song was like six minutes long, and um, I'd have to look, but I think we got that song is like under four minutes. You know, we just we cut a lot of fat, we cut a lot of like unnecessary parts out. If it wasn't helping the song, it was hurting the song, and we would take it out. And that's something that we have never done before. Yeah, so it's something you feel more confident about than sort of previous offerings. Absolutely, yeah, I'm I'm very happy with this album. So kind of breaking it down now. So you've got this record done. What are you trying to do next? You know, you've sort of been in, you know, especially the last eight months, all the record was being worked on. You haven't really played live that much, if at all. Right. Mm-hmm. All, well, except for the Mexico tour, which I want to get to in a minute. But what do you see happening in the rest of the year as you gear up for the album release? Yeah. So, I mean, during the during the writing and recording of the album, we did a handful of dates with Blood Letter, just U.S. dates, and we played Record Store Day. And that was about it. You know, I mean, COVID sort of derailed all of yeah. our, all of our all of our international stuff and and any any like real tours we had lined up. And then by the time things started to open back up, we were we were in writing and recording mode. So it didn't make a whole lot of sense to like derail any of the any of the momentum we had on that front to like go out and play dates just to play dates. Um, now that we've got this thing in the bag, you know, obviously, you know, we're the kind of band we just we just love to play shows. I mean, we're a live band first and foremost, so. Uh, you know, the goal is to, you know, find some tours, jump on them, whether it's 
somebody else's tour or, you know, our own tour, whatever it is, we're just, we're ready to get back out there. And so how was this Mexico tour, which was your first tour in a long time? I was great, man. It was, um, it was better than, than I, than I could have hoped for. It had been rescheduled a couple of times and, uh, you know, I was starting to get frustrated with that. And when it finally came together, we, we just jumped at the opportunity to go out. Uh, we went out with strike master who is, uh, one of, you know, probably, I would say probably the most known thrash metal band in Mexico, definitely the most successful. And, uh, it was, it was a pleasure to share the stage with those guys every night. Uh, it was a little awkward headlining above a Mexican band in, in Mexico. I didn't expect that. Uh, that was kind of the promoter's decision, but it went over well. I mean, the fans loved it. Our sets were, were really good. The crowds were very energetic. Um, turnouts were decent. You know, we got to play a lot of really cool stages and see a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of Mexico that I had never seen before. You know, we were, we were deep. I mean, we were in like Zacatecas and Torreon and, you know, a lot of these places that, you know, most people will never see. So, you know, it was kind of cool to just take in that culture and, and just see Mexico for what it really was. It was, it was an incredible experience. Yeah. And there was like a few hundred people there a night. Yeah. I mean, some of the shows were, were a little light, you know, like a Wednesday night in, uh, sure. You know, Zacatecas, I don't know what you could expect, you know, but, but there was, there was never a, a depressing show, you know, I mean, it was, it was definitely, I would say better than touring the U S but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. No complaints about the turnouts. That's awesome. No, that's such a, a cool thing because I feel like very few American bands, even at a high level tour Mexico. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why they really should. I mean, I can tell you that everywhere we went, they were extremely thankful to have a show. You know, a lot of those clubs kind of have a built-in crowd down there. We played some of like kind of the the staple venues. Like we played uh, Club Iguana in Monterey, which I know, you know, everybody goes there, but you know, not everybody goes to, you know, the bunker, you know, or some of these other clubs that we went to. Where, where people hang out and metal fans hang out. But yeah, I mean, I don't know how many shows they get, but they were super stoked that we were there. So well, that's kind of the beauty of like playing those places that get 15 metal shows a year. Yeah, it's it's the complete opposite of going to like a New York City, for example, where there's 15 metal shows tonight. You know, I mean, the, the fans yeah. are just so much more appreciative. And, you know, the turnouts are solid because honestly, what the fuck else is there to do, you know, on a Wednesday night in some of these cities? So yeah, very good time. And uh yeah, bands ought to really, especially with this, with the state of touring in Europe and the cost of touring right now and, and some of these other places, like Latin America has some of the best fans in the world. And I know because you're you're a numbers guy and you're you're a Spotify guy. Like if you look up a lot of bands, and I've done this, I think you can still see other band stuff on Spotify, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, you can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like go and look at the most played cities on almost any thrash metal band. And I guarantee you it's Mexico city. They're at least in the top two. So, I mean, yeah, it's uh it's kind of a no brainer to tour down there. We are, we are going to start touring down there more. Like we're already in talks with a promoter to go back for a couple of things this year. So yeah, it's a great market. That's really cre- That's really cool. And you're right. And I feel like that sort of thing is like that Mexico city thrash metal scene is freakishly large. Yeah. I mean, people do not realize how big Mexico city actually is like physically. But it's, it's like the, the biggest city in North America, right? Yeah, it's it's three New York cities large. Like it is ungodly huge. You can drive across Mexico City for three hours and you're still in Mexico City. Like it is freaking enormous. Right. Because you played like both sides of Mexico City, right? Uh, well, I mean, Mexico City so big. Like we played a show in Mexico City. But you played multiple dates there, I thought. Well, well, 
kind of like we played a city that was like on the outskirts okay. and then we played like proper Mexico city. So like we drove around it, but again, like it's like, you can drive for three hours and like you're still in, in the city. So we kind of played like both sides of it and then like a proper Mexico city show. So yeah, we were like all over that area, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's an enormous place. That's wild that you could play three shows in sort of the same Metroplex. I almost feel like they just got lazy, like naming cities down there. It's like you could cut Mexico City up into like 10 U.S. cities. Like it is so freaking big. Like when you're flying into it and you're looking out the plane window, it looks surreal. Like it looks like something out of a movie you've never seen. Like it's way bigger than London. Like it's hard to even put it in, in like perspective, like how big that place is. That's wild. Yeah, super, super good time. And now it's a regular workers tour stop. We hope, we hope. Hey, I'm taking Spanish classes, man. I'm like taking this this uh this this mexican fan growth like very serious so yeah like this is what you're about now dude i'm all about it man the food was great like the people were great it i'm telling you i've never had more fun on a tour in my life well i mean you know like i think that we always make like come to brazil jokes but dude like i'm marketing this apocalyptic tour in south america and it's like what the fuck yeah i mean like the level of dedication these like there was a dude um and you know everyone's doing their spotify year ends there was a dude who listened to like 26,000 minutes of Apocalyptica <laughs> in Brazil. That's amazing. Like, the- And I like stalked him because I, I, I was like, this has got to be like a bot or something, right? But it was a human. The real guy. That's incredible. I don't, know, I don't know how many hours there are in a year, but that seems like a, an exuberant amount of consumption for one band. I, I looked and it meant he, he listened like an hour, 20 minutes a day or something. I mean, that's awesome. Man. I don't know how much material that band has, but it seems like a lot of consumption. But but yeah, <laughs> the, 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 but the fans down there are fanatical, man. That's a thing. Like if if you get in good down there and if you make a good impression with them down there, like it's almost kind of like the Germany thing where like you could you could do very little in the U.S. And if you're successful there and if you tour there frequently, like you could make a living in Latin America. I mean, Brazil, Colombia, there's a lot of places down there that are just like surprisingly really big, really good markets. No, absolutely. And it, and it's it's cool to see. And it's it's definitely, it's wild, right? Because like, I think, you know, like you look at a band like, this isn't to disparage anyone, but it, like you look at a band like Toxic or Hyrax. Hyrax, Hyrax. How's that band pronounced? Hyrax, I believe, yeah. Hyrax, yeah. Like those are bands that like are not gonna like really build a meaningful audience in the US ever. But they go to South America and like, okay, this is what we do. You know, and, and that's not, and that, I'm not trying to be negative by saying that. I'm just saying. No, I get what you, 80s thrash bands in the U.S. have kind of, you know, that's not what's breaking yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the, the 10 that we're going to make it, like already made it. And then like everybody else like goes to Europe and goes to Latin America. You know, it, it's, it is kind of a weird thing that in order to be considered like a, you know, a quote, like successful band at least in the eyes of the fans here, of course. But, you know, in in order to be considered successful, you have to win the U.S. market. Like, you know, in the eyes of record labels, in the eyes of industry professionals, like if you haven't won the U.S. market, they feel like you haven't really made it. But there are so many bands that like never make it here, but have very lucrative careers playing, you know, strictly in Europe or, you know, even Asia or, you know, Latin America, some of these other places just because it is like a completely different fan base, a completely different market, and it can be extremely profitable. So, you know, I don't know. Absolutely. It's, it's, I don't know. It's cool if you make it in America, but I don't know that it's all that imperative anymore, really, to, to have like a meaningful, like long career. I really don't know. Well, I also think it's sort of 
multi-tiered, you know, the way anything really is, right? Like, I feel like there's people who... What's interesting to me is when you have what's... Like, some bands I work with in the U.S. are essentially European bands who happen to live in Chicago. You know what I mean? Like, they go to Germany and 300 kids show up. They play their hometown and no one is there. Yeah, it's very weird and, like... I mean that that's happened to us as well, you know. It it is it is weird. It's two different worlds and they don't always overlap. Yeah. And it's it's hard to kind of wrap your head around it sometimes. I mean, I think it's 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 a difference kind of in it's a difference in culture. It's a difference in in kind of like the style of metal. You look at like you said 80s thrash metal. You know, a lot of 80s thrash metal, especially like you you even mentioned Toxic in particular like that is kind of a niche thing, you know, that's not as palatable as, you know, obviously like a Metallica or like even a Death Angel or something like that. It it has almost that like quirky kind of cartoony, fast, um, rhythmic sort of thing going on. So, I mean, I think that stuff just resonates different elsewhere, you know, where like, you know, Americans have, I think that, you know, death metal bands have a much better go at things here. You know, power metal here is almost non-existent, you know, so obviously they're trying to get out of here. I don't know. I just think it kind of depends on what you play and, and, you know, how it's received in that area culturally. I mean, and I know you've witnessed this too. You've spent a ton of time in Europe more than I have, but, but one of the biggest eye openers for me was uh, I was watching creator and I think we were at, it was like uh, download Madrid, possibly. I don't know. It was one of the big festivals and I was standing in the photo pit area between the stage and the, uh, and the barricade. I turned around and I'm looking at the crowd and what I noticed is like a sea of young people, like 12 year old kids, you know, like normal. And, and I'm not talking like the metal kid that's like got on the battle vest and like, you know, the whole nine yards. I'm talking like a normal looking kid in normal clothes who in America would be at home listening to whatever the fuck young people listen to. I'm not even going to pretend like I know, I don't know, Post Malone or some shit. Like, I don't know, but like metal just never left the mainstream there. You know, it's like over there, it's still very much a part of, uh, you know, pop culture, it's still very relevant. We're here. It just hasn't been for a long time. Well, I think it's also in Europe. It's not so much that it's it's part of the mainstream as much as it's just another thing you might want to listen to. Yeah, well, that's a good way to look at it. Mainstream might be the wrong choice of words. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like I think and I also think that Europe has and, and, and I don't necessarily know this is a good thing, but, you know, Europe definitely has more of like a like the America fetishization, especially in Germany, like ends up fueling a lot of like stuff where, you know, I like I feel like Germany in particular has like this love for the 80s. That's a little bit weird, you know, and definitely benefits certain metal bands. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think it works both ways because, you know, here I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of bands that, you know, in the in the black metal world and some of the like, you know, the Norway bands and like the Scandinavian bands. I think there's a lot of like, you know, almost like you say, almost like a fetish for it here because that's not the norm and we don't get a lot of that stuff. So it it does work in both directions where like a lot of those bands will announce a tour here and everybody loses their mind. But like, yeah, I mean, who's who's given a shit about them in Europe for the last, you know, 15 years or whatever. So, you know, I also think that a lot of those bands have sort of forced scarcity just by virtue of, you know, visas or you know, like look at a band like Powerwolf, right? Never been to America until this year they're coming and they're going to they're going to start out playing like a 5000 person room in New York City 
and like a few other like similar size venues around the country. That's it. You get like six shows. But like, when you think about it, like that makes sense because like Power Wolf are like the perfectly engineered German power metal band, you know, for better or for worse. Some people hate them, but you know, they're the prototypical, you know, they're the ideal of what that should be. Well, first, I'm, I'm actually amazed they're even playing 5,000 cap rooms here. Like, that actually blows my mind. It's crazy. Like, have you seen that tour? Well, here's the thing. No, I mean, I don't follow that band. It's not my cup of tea. But I did. What was what was so eye opening to me? I saw them. It was uh, what the hell was it? Was it Party Sounds? It was one of those. It was one of the kind of like the the, the B market European yeah, festivals. Yeah. I I watched them steal Cannibal Corpse's entire crowd. I didn't know what was going on, but like everybody there must have like set an alarm and they knew like, okay, Power Gale Wolf, Power Wolf, whatever the hell their name is, like th- that band was getting ready to come on and everyone ran over there. No one has ever confused Power Wolf and Yellow Wolf before just now. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm an idiot, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, Power Wolf. But but yeah, man, like I was like, what the hell is going on? So I ran over there to watch it. And I'm like, you know, me as an American that has never heard this band in my life. I'm like, what in the hell? I I, I have a, a genre that I've made up in my head. I call that festival metal. That's what that is. Oh, 100%. Like, it's, yeah. It's not it's not power metal. It's not anything. It's literally it's festival metal. It's like it's music written for like an enormous stage and a bunch of drunk people to like chant and stomp their feet to. But it was fucking entertaining, man. And, and like, I remember seeing billboards for that band as we were driving around on that tour. And it's like, I did not realize the magnitude, like how gigantic that band was there. But, you know, a lot of those bands, you know, you you look at like Halloween and some of these other bands that are just like enormous over there. They come here and they play for nobody, you know, so. Yeah. Or relatively speaking, nobody, you know, I mean, I think the starkest example of that is like Amon Ra, who I saw in, I think, a two week period headline a stage at Hellfest, a smaller stage, but, you know, still 10,000 people. And then I saw them play to 80 people in New York City. Yep, that's my point, you know. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's wild. So, you know, get in where you fit in, I guess, is the moral of the story. You know, our band, you know, I, I think that w- with what we do, we're going to have more success, you know, in, in Germany and Latin America than, you know, m- maybe even the what we're going to have at home. You know, I don't know. It's, you know. It's interesting. No, absolutely. And it's and it's that's part of, I think, how the how the game is played sometimes, because I think you do see a, a large amount of bands who no, well, not a large amount, but you see you definitely see bands in America who just can't can't hack it in America. But for whatever reason, it, it clicks in Europe. Yeah. Are you saying we can't hack it? No, but the point being like, or, you know, our friends in Heathen, you know, that's another band who tour Europe consistently and have to sort of accelerate or have to kind of push scarcity in America just because that that audience isn't here as as much. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And and sometimes I do not I, I can't I don't know if it's because I'm biased or because like, you know, thrash metal, I guess is kind of my my forte or my passion or whatever. But I sometimes have a hard time like understanding the rhyme or reason to why like certain bands resonate and others don't. Heathen being a great example of just like a phenomenal, phenomenal band with like all the talent in the world. And I think they have like an okay American fan base. I, I don't think it's like a dire situation or anything, but the the way like they should have caught fire here, you know, like just in my opinion, and especially like the last album, uh, Empire of the Blind that, that Cregan wrote is just such a, I mean, it, it's leaps and bounds better than like what a lot of the other bands are putting out. And just for whatever reason, like Europe grabs it, 
loves it, embraces it. And, and, and Americans are just sort of like, okay, cool album, like on to the next. So I don't know if it's like an attention span thing. I don't know if it's like a play in favorites thing. I really don't know. I was talking about this with Craig and actually the other day is like a band like Heathen are like technically part of that first wave of thrash metal, but they sort of get grouped into the second wave. And I feel like, you know, when that narrative gets played around you, then it's too late, right? Like Anthrax's own part of why Anthrax is as big as they are is because they're referred to as part of the big four, which is just this weird arbitrary marketing designation that, you know, boosted their career dramatically in when did that term come to being like 2010? Oh, whenever they did that tour. So, I mean, yeah, that tour was like in the 2000 era, 2000s, late 2000s. And what I'm saying, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, look, and that's, it's just, it's, you know, and that's like what's interesting about music marketing so often is like that overarching narrative, you know, it's why, right. Cause it's kind of, if you do it right, it can be age or age of artist or band agnostic, like a band like Steel Panther has actually been around for like 25 years. And those guys are actually in their 50s, but they're able to kind of sell it in a way that they seem a lot younger and a lot more exciting. Yeah. I mean, the the big four thing, like, yeah, that designation is gigantic. Like, I think that almost means more. It's just the conversation. Like, it's just where your name is placed, like who you're who you're yeah. discussed with. You know, you, you've got the big four. I get so sick of these big four debates like you can't. I've un- I've unfollowed like every thrash metal page on on the internet because it's like never ending. Like who would have been the fifth or like you know who was the best? It's like these big four debates. Like it's the the dead horse has been kicked one one thousand too many times this week and like I just can't stand the shit. But like if your name is constantly brought up next to like Slayer, Metallica, Megadeth, you know that that's gonna do enormous things for for your career. Yeah, because then people go and check you out, right? And then they go oh, well, I like those other bands. Let me go listen to this band. And that's all it is, right? It's like this weird association game. It is. But I mean, I think at this point, everybody pretty well knows who Anthrax is. And like Anthrax is like more than earn their place. But, you know, I guess. Oh, absolutely. And that's not I'm not trying to like dis Anthrax at all. No, 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 I get it. But but I mean, I guess the question would be, you know, an interesting way to think of it. What would that have done for the career of, say, say it wasn't Anthrax and say it was Overkill or pick any other band? what would it have done to their career trajectory? Like how much bigger would they be if they were the fourth, you know, instead of anthrax or whatever? I don't know. You know, the whole thing with thrash metal and to kind of get back to what we were talking about earlier with like the direction that we went with some of the, some of the songs on our album is like fans are so rigid and like this whole thrash metal thing. Like there's so many rules and there's so many, like you got to check certain boxes and you got to like be a part of the, the little club or so to speak. And, and you're always going to be compared to these big four bands. I don't know. I think that was kind of some of the some of the reason why we wrote some of the songs we wrote was just to sort of like, I want to get out of that conversation a little bit. Like, I love thrash metal. I love being a part of that community. But like, I don't want to be pigeonholed into this thing for the rest of my life. Like, I want to be able to write a short song, write a fast song, write a slow song. Maybe I'll write a ballad at some point in time. But like, you know, I don't know. I just, I just feel like the thrash metal world is just so so stuck on like this big four living in the past you know it's like no matter what i do i can write the best album in the world but like i'm not gonna outdo these guys that have been doing this for you know 40 years and like those songs have had even if i wrote a better song like it hasn't had 40 years to like embed itself into your brain like it's just not 
it's not the same thing. It's not a, it's not even a valid comparison. I'm not even going to say like a fair comparison. It's not even a valid comparison. It's not apples and oranges. And like, as much as I love that stuff, like I hate that so many people are like so stuck in the past. So like anything that, you know, we could do to kind of like set ourselves apart from that instead of being, you know, a Metallica clone or, you know, whatever. I think that I think that definitely does creep into my mind quite a bit just because of conversations like this. And the world has enough Metallica clones. Yeah. I mean, we don't need another one. So, you know, but OK, so then do you still feel like a thrash metal band really after this record? I mean, it, you know, I feel like it's identifiably thrash metal, but an argument, I guess, could be made that it fits into some other sort of genre. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it would be called, you know, and I. The, the sort of the incessant need to like draw boxes around everything and like put everything into into a little box in a in a category. I don't know. I think some of that is like detrimental to metal as a whole to its existence. Um, I think that it, it it kind of like feeds into like the gatekeepers and the elitism. I don't know. I mean, I don't care. You know, but it but it's but it's interesting because. On the flip side, if you tell me to check out a band and I say, what does this band sound like? Yeah. Your your description will either be, they sound like this big mainstream band, this big mainstream band, and this big mainstream band mixed together, because you know I will know who those bands are, right? Or you will say, oh, it's like thrash metal with death metal drumming. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think just being like a musician, being a nerd, I would probably describe the music for what it is. Like, I would probably try to describe like melodic guitars what kind of vocals, you know, et cetera. But I do get what you're saying. I think there are a lot of bands that are successful because they're not so like genre specific. Like if I asked you what Trivium sounds like as an example, well, what the fuck sure. does Trivium sound like? You know, a metalcore band who actually listened to Iron Maiden. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's a funny description. That's how I would describe them in a lot of ways is like, they're like the, they're, I don't know, but I, but I get what you're saying. Yes. I, I understand your larger point here and, and I yeah. don't, you know, and, and, you know, and this is part of the, the game, right. Is talking about music is, is complicated. It is. It's very complicated, but I think there's something to be said for like being able to transcend genres. I think one of the things that has made us, um, I mean, as successful as we are, we're not successful yet. But like one of the things that has resonated with fans, I guess, is that uh, we're accessible. You know, it's like we've we've always played thrash metal, but we have never had a hard time like winning over like a, a hard rock crowd, for example, or an older crowd. We have stuff that's like sure. fast and thrashy enough that like, you know, when we were we're sharing the stage with with Strike Master, who plays a thousand miles an hour at all times, like we just we're able to cater our set and like just pull out our bangers and like just play a fast thrash set, you know? So we've always been a little fluid in that regard. But I think, you know, you look at a band, you know, Trivium being a really good example, I, don't, I just kind of pulled that out, but like they're on tour right now with like Obituary, you know, but they were just on tour with Iron Maiden. And like, I feel like they can play with anybody and like their heavy parts are heavy enough. Their hooky parts are hooky enough. You know, I don't know. I feel like they're able to kind of like cross lines. And I think there's something to be said for like being able to pull from a fan base that isn't like exclusively 55 year old men that love Death Angel, you know? Yeah. Although, you know, 55 year old men who love Death Angel, if you're, we know you're listening, probably will like <laughs> War Curse. Yeah, they, they totally will. And like, we love having those fans, but you know, it, it also wouldn't hurt if like a woman showed up to our show or, you know, somebody under 40, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. So I think it's it's just kind of uh, like, I don't want to put myself in into a corner and I don't want to like 
promise that I'm just going to write like, you know, 200 BPM thrash songs until the end of time. Like if, if you want like an onslaught of like never ending fast riffs, there are a million bands that do that stuff very well. They do that stuff better than we do. You know, I think that like, I see myself, you know, a guitarist sort of comes like third, you know, I see myself first and foremost as a songwriter, second as a musician and like third as a guitarist, like the guitar is just sort of like a means to an end for me. It's, it's, it's a, it's a vehicle in which to like write songs and to like create music. And, and to me, like, I'm just more interested in like the, the song that's, that's inside of me that day that I'm trying to get out or like, you know, the song that I'm trying to write, you know, the, to convey a, a vibe or a message or whatever it is. And if it happens to be thrashy, like that's, that's cool because that's kind of like where my heart is. But like, if it's not, and it, and it's, you know, you, you heard the new album, a couple of the songs are like mid tempo or kind of hooky and a couple of them are kind of dirty, you know, like that's just, that's what I was feeling that day. And so that's, that's what I wrote. Absolutely. This record, you know, obviously we're going to have you on again relatively soon as we delve deeper into the record release process. But is there anything else you want to address? Anything else coming up you want people to know about before we wrap this up? <laughs> not a damn thing, man. Not until uh, not until it's time to start promoting this thing. And, you know, right now we're sort of in that hurry up and wait stage where like the album's done and, you know, we're, we're going to start looking for tours. But yeah, right now it's sort of uh, downtime. So I- I'm writing the next one. You know, that's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to play guitar. Already? Yeah, already, man. I've got like four songs started. Yeah. And actually they're they're pretty thrashy. So this whole, co- just just ignore everything I just said. Like, I don't know, the, so- the, the new songs I've written are like a lot thrashier, I guess, than then what's on this album. So I don't know, maybe I'll write a couple, a couple of slower ones. I don't know, but yeah, I'm just, just having fun, man. Just writing songs. There you go. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely, dude. My pleasure. All right. So that was awesome. Thank you everyone out there for listening to Delirious Nomads sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob Podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.